I appreciate the prayer. Amen. Y'all have made me nervous this morning. Yeah. All the powerful praying by Crystal and all the... Yeah. Isn't that good? Lord, you're good. Amen. Hey, I had a great week. I hope you did too, mostly. Um, I went down... Uh, I, You know, we did the National Day of Prayer. I went to... This is the first time I've ever done this is... Love Life, many of you know what Love Life is, but I went, they had a pastor's prayer walk, like many of you have done before, and they did it just for pastors, and of course I got really cussed out again, and because of the, you know, the people that they hired, uh, the protesters, or there's supposed to be a parking lot attendants for the, for the um, abortion clinic, they don't really appreciate anything that has to do with putting them out of a job. But it was a very good time. Uh, if anybody is interested, that's just a plug for in August when our church does the prayer walk. Uh, I've done it so many times now. Um, it's pretty intense thing to do, but it's one of the things I feel like God put in my heart a long time ago, but I wasn't one of those kind of people who wanted to be arrested, you know, how they used to do it. But when they've come up with a way of just praying and asking the Lord to, to really stop abortion, um, it's just an amazing thing. And I think every mom in this room who's had a baby or been pregnant would agree with that, <clears throat> that that's a terrible thing. And I think that for our country, if we could stop abortion, I think a lot of other things would stop. It's just it's my personal belief. And so... You know, and there's a lot of evil things that that are going on in the world. But if you've ever seen a picture of a child that's been aborted, you would say that's one of the most ultimate evils there is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, really ter- terrible. Anyways, I'm not trying to be heavy here, uh, but I was just thinking about that and thinking about these prayers for our country and you know, that God really wants to put people in office that can at least try to steer us in a in a godly way. And that's really, really we need to be praying that the Lord would do that. Amen? Okay, I'm going to be reading out this story. Uh, Lord, help me. Uh, it's the John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Probably everybody knows this story. It's just an amazing story. It just so happens it has a mother in it, so it kind of goes along with Mother's Day. Uh, kind of, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a wedding. Uh, I actually thought about doing this message uh, when I did your guys' wedding, but I just couldn't never get there with it. You know, it's hard preaching, y'all, whether you know it or not. If you've ever tried that, it's really hard to find the heart of the Lord on what you're supposed to say, and then you're hard to figure out how you're supposed to say it, and then it's even more tricky to figure out to, to say it, you know, where the Lord's really saying it through you it's you and the Lord together so I'm praying that God will help me really release this to you this morning um, because I think there's something really powerful in here for us Um, it says on the third day there was a wedding I'm going to read the whole thing it's John 2 1 through 11 I wish I could read better um, but I can't so you're just sort of stuck with a bad reader I like the way I read on a personal level. I have no issues with my reading, but apparently a lot of people don't like the way I pronounce words and, you know, in my accent. But I don't really, that doesn't really faze me, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just stuck with me. So if you can just bear with me, I'm going to read 11 verses. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. See, we've got mothers pulled into this thing here. This is actually really important. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Let me point out the fact here that this was not all 12 of his disciples. It was probably five of them because at this point, he had not called all his disciples. He had just called, remember from chapter 1, there was just a few of them. It was Nathaniel, right, Philip, Peter. Who else? Who else was it? Andrew and John. So those prob- more than likely, those were the five disciples that were with Jesus, not, not the other seven that really showed up later. Um, and it says they were invited to a wedding, and they ran out of wine. 
And the mother of Jesus said to, to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, this is a pretty famous debated verse here. Uh, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Apparently in the Greek, this does not come across uh, like it, it does in the English. Um, this sounds a little rough, right? Like, like woman, what you calling your mama woman for, boy? <laughs> I don't care who you are, you shouldn't be talking to mama like that. Uh, but apparently it is not translated really well or it doesn't come across really well. But I'll come back to it in a little while. And then he said, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, ignoring Jesus, obviously, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. These were for their ceremonial washings. Okay, It was a part of their, their routine that they did. They contained 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Uh, and they took it. I, I just love how the Bible says stuff like that. And they took it. That's a pretty profound uh, statement, really, if you think about it. Uh, when the Lord asks you to do something, just do it. You know, I mean, that's really what it says to me. Just do what he says to do, even though it didn't, for us reading it all week, we're cool, we're good. But if you were a servant taking some water to this guy, it wouldn't feel cool to them at the moment. I'm sure they felt a little like, what the heck? You know, I mean, dude, they're not wanting water at this wedding. Uh, So just do it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, that's important, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Isn't that a beautiful story? Well, I just want to remind you, you know, I I had told you that the Gospel of John is basically broken up in three parts. It's the book of signs, the first, about the first 12 chapters. It's all about the signs, about the signs or or these miracles. And the next, uh, from chapter 13 to the last chapter, is about uh, the glory of Jesus. It's the signs and glory. That's what this is all about. This is an amazing book. And then, of course, the last chapter is kind of a, a, a summary, a conclusion, where it sort of brings it all together. Uh, so it's really an amazing book. And really why it's important to know little tidbits like that, for me, it's very helpful when I'm reading a book in the Bible to know why was this written? What is God trying to tell me in this book, in the whole book. So when I read the Gospel of John, God is, is beginning to tell me about miracles. He's beginning to tell me that there's a, there's a reason that we believe what we believe. And this is, this is why you should believe. This is why you should believe the Lord Jesus. And then it begins to talk about His glory, okay, which is another reason to believe. It's, it's because He's glorious and He is who He says He is. So this... This is very helpful. Now, like I said, a sign is like a, a sign uh, on the road. It points us to something. It gives us some information that may not be apparent. Okay, now this is really one of the keys for understanding these miracles in here. Every one of the miracles that Jesus did, uh, you know, there's this debate in the world. I think I told you this, there's seven miracles or there's eight miracles. You can count them. I count eight in there. I don't know why. Well, I know why. Because one of them was done after Jesus was resurrected. And for some reason that one didn't count to some people. But it counted to me because it's in the Bible apparently. But, but every one of them, there's a, an obvious understanding of the miracle. There's something that he did. This obvious understanding. Oh, Jesus turned water into wine. He did a, a miracle over nature. Everybody, anybody could read that. But see, there's another message in every one of these miracles. There's something else because they're, that's why John called them signs. They're, not, they're pointing to something else. They're revealing something else that's just not apparent. Like if you were driving on a mountain road and there were going to be a, a bad curve ahead, if you didn't know it, you could have a problem, right? You could have an accident. That's why there's a sign there. It's to, tell, it's to give you some information to tell you something. 
And so when we read these things, we read, it's almost like we need to read between the lines. Have you ever heard that statement before? Are you all with me? It's, it, read between lines. There's another message besides just what's happening in the moment. There's something else that the Holy Spirit is trying to draw our attention to. And if we're sensitive, you know, it's like the treasure hidden in the field. It's there. It's been put there. It's waiting on somebody to walk up to it and discover it. You know? And that's, that's what, what these miracles are all about, really. They show His glory, but they show something much greater. Now, you can see that, that they, the thing that G, ultimately Jesus wants to show is he, he, the signs are pointing to another era, another age, where all sickness, all sorrow, where all the pain of this world and every tear of this world is going to be removed. That, that's what ultimately they're pointing to. They're pointing to this greater thing, uh, I think, in Revelations where Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. That's what these ultimately all are pointing to, to that day when everything will be made new. Everything. No more sickness. No more death. No more hungry people. No more broke, the brokenness and sorrow of this world will be done away with. Isn't that beautiful? You know, and that's the ultimate, that's what God is after in our lives. Even today, He wants us to have like a down payment of that to begin to, to walk in these things. That's why I so vital for us to grab grab hold to these amazing things so so um and so if you look at all these different miracles that jesus did in general the the miracles of healing the miracles of raising people from the dead the opening of blind eyes uh to feeding five thousand people with a few little pieces of bread and fish to walking on the water you know he did all these amazing things you know, and so most of those were like kind of apparent in the moment of, yeah, we can see that's pointing us to another day. We can, we're seeing that that's something that God wants to do. But this miracle is a little different. This is completely different than any miracle that Jesus did in the Bible. And here's one of the reasons it was. Because the people he did it for didn't know he did it. They had no clue where this wine came from. It was hidden from the wedding party, the, the family, the family that had a lot at stake in that moment. And I'm going to share with you in just a minute. A lot was at stake for this family in that moment. And they had no clue that a mighty miracle was done for them, and they didn't know who, even, who did it. Only the servants knew is what it said. The servants and Jesus' mama. So that's, that makes it an unusual miracle from that, don't you think? I think that's pretty interesting, don't you? But here's what it is. It's, so here's the, one of the things this miracle... I want you all to get this. This miracle points us to something. It points us... This is what the sign's telling us. The old covenant is about to be done away with. That's what it's telling us. Let me, let me read this one verse. Yep, this is good. This is really good. Aren't you glad the old covenant was done away with? Yeah. You know, who wants to do ceremonial washings, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to do no ceremony. You know, <laughs> that's part of the deal. They had to wash certain times. Like, dude, we'll take a bath at night and be done with it and, you know, wash your hands. But, you know, I don't want to be doing some kind of washing to make me good before God. You know, and that's really a lot of what was going on. But this is what... Uh, Amos 9.13, I just love this verse, and there's so much in it. This really speaks to this. It says, Behold, the days are coming. This is an Old Testament verse. Says the Lord, When the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seeds, the mountains will drip with sweet wines, and the hills will flow with it. And so here's what, let's get this, here's what was happening. This was a picture that Jesus was, was bringing because a Hebrew understood. That's what they expected. They, when, the Hebrew mind was this. When the new covenant comes in, it is going to be a happy time. And there is going to be wine flowing like a river. 
That's what they felt. They knew that. So they got, every Hebrew was looking for that day. That was one of the signs that the old was done and the new had come. Was there going to be a party? There was going to be a feast and there was going to be wine for everybody. They weren't hung up like a lot of people are. Okay? And so Jesus, they, they, they ran out of the wine at the scene. He actually did 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. In fact, I would suggest it's probably so much wine that once the party was done, they took the other however many gallons they had and made a lot of money off of it. Opened up a wine store. Like, we've got the best wine there ever was in the world. We don't know, y'all, we ain't telling you where it came from, but it is good. So we're selling it for the top price. You know, because they had, I mean, that would be a hard, it'd be hard to drink 120 to 180 gallons of wine. You know, you know, even if you had 200 or 300 people there, it would still be hard, even if they were hard drinkers. You know, <laughs> I mean, veteran drinkers could not handle this much wine. You know what I'm saying? So this was pretty powerful, a sign and that's why it says you've saved the best till now in verse 10. God has saved the best for now. He was illustrating there's something that has been called the old, but now the best is coming. And God has saved the best for now. Are y'all with me on this? Are y'all following this? It's, it's amazing. what You see, that's looking between what's written there and seeing what the thing that God wants us to see uh, and I can say this about the ceremonial washings. Jesus, this is my way of, I can imagine Jesus saying this. You won't be needing to do that anymore. For the new wine of the new covenant is here. You don't need to be doing all that. Yeah, I'm done with that. This is something better. There's something greater. There's something more. There's something that's going to cleanse you. That you'll never have to try to be cleansed again. It's called the blood. The blood of Christ. That's, that's, see, see, do y'all, are y'all getting that? That's, see, once you start seeing these things, you, you're going to never unsee them. And, of course, we all know what the, uh, the third day was about, right? You know, that was the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the third day. And so that, kinda, that's kinda, that was actually the, the, the true beginning of um, the new covenant. It's when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful and powerful, y'all? This is his first miracle. And he, his first miracle had everything to do with why he came to the earth. Everything to do. Well, there's another thing that comes to it that, I, that really speaks to me. Uh, are y'all following me? Yeah. Is uh, the, that phrase, uh, the servants knew. I think that's such a, um, an amazing thing that the only people there... Uh, who knew what was really going on was the servers, the people that were serving. And so I think one of the things this Jesus was trying to bring forth, uh, one of the things he's pointing to is that really the, vi- the vital thing in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. You know, Jesus said that in Matthew 20. He said, the way to promotion in the kingdom, the way to move forward in the kingdom is to be the servant of all. That's what Jesus said. This is how things work in the kingdom. If you want to, if you want me to, if you want to move forward, if you want to come into more of what the kingdom's about and more of what the kingdom does, then you should become a servant. That's, that's in Matthew 20 when his disciples was arguing about who should be the greatest of all. And he said, this is how you become great in the kingdom, is become a servant of all. No, people don't really love that. <laughs> Let me, can I read this Philippians 2.25 to you? Uh, this is Paul talking. Uh, this is Paul talking for all the people who think the Gospels are Old Covenant and don't, don't apply to us, which actually they are Old Covenant. The Gospels are because... The Gospels, the Old Covenant ended when Christ was resurrected. But I kind of think anything that Jesus said might be important. That's just my beautiful opinion. But here's something Mr. Paul said. Uh, I want you to hear this. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Isn't that cool? Epaphroditus. I said that right. Now listen, he said three things about Epaphroditus. 
He said, number one, he's my brother. Number two, he's a fellow worker. And number three, he's a fellow soldier. Then he said to the people, but he's your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So here you see there's three things that Paul points out about Epaphroditus that I believe are vital for every believer. If you're going to be a healthy believer, if you're going to grow in the Lord, if you're going to come into your purpose in the Lord, if you're going to live out on this earth what God has called you to be, is number one, you need to be involved in family. In other words, you need this revelation about God being the Father. That's what he says. You're a brother. In other words, you're, we're connected. We have a father. We understand family. We understand the fatherhood of God. We're sons. That's so beautiful, and that's so vital for us to get. You know, there's not this dichotomy in, the, in Paul's mind or Jesus' mind or the Bible's mind between being a brother and being a servant. There's no division that we have somehow, because we've had bad revelation in the past about serving, because we were serving to please, that's a not a good reason to serve. Not, we don't serve to please. We serve because it's part of our purpose. It's part of our calling. It's part of our destiny. Are y'all following that? And so that one little turn turns to everything. That one little thing. And so Paul speaks to this man, says he's a brother in the Lord. He's a part of the kingdom. He's a part of the family of God. He sits at the table of the Lord. He has his place there. But he's also a worker. He's also a worker. He's a servant. And he has his heart to serve because he has sat at the table. And when he sat at the table and he began to know God as his father, he began to catch the father's heart. And part of what Jesus said, I came to serve. I didn't come to be served. That's what Jesus said in that Matthew 20 thing. I came to serve. And see, when we begin to come into a revelation of the fatherhood of God and our own identity as sons and daughters, at some point we're going to come into this thing that, you know, this thing is going to run, burn in us to serve. Yeah. It really, is, it really is right. And the other thing is mission. He called him a soldier. Because everybody needs a mission in life. Everybody needs to be involved in the mission of the kingdom. And so what Paul's pretty much declaring to us here is that these three things are vital for your health as a person, for your health as a believer. And for you, if you really want to see that everything that your dreams fulfilled the things that you want to do on this life, then here's one of the great secrets to it, is begin to get a revelation of these things in your life and begin to put your heart to, towards those things. And here's how you become a servant. You just ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you care about or show me who you care about and let me join myself to that care and let me serve the people of that care or serve that care, that desire that you have. That, that's really what God asks us to do. Am I talking to anybody in here? <laughs> and so it's, that's how you, it's not like a one-size-fits-all fit, thing. You know, but God will, if we begin to really say, Lord, what breaks your heart? What do you really care about, Lord, on this earth that you would like me to put myself into and serve in? He'll show you that. He'll reveal that to you. And that's what you do is you join him in that and you begin to go after that thing. And, and lots of times what you'll discover is, is once you begin to see that, you'll begin to look back in your life and you'll see that God's been preparing you for that your entire life. That a lot of the natural desires and a lot of the things that how God has led you has led you to that place. It really has. I mean, that's the way it really works. So, and this is the beautiful thing, back to the wedding story, the servants knew. Are y'all getting that? The servants knew, meaning they had inside information. Would you like to have some inside information from the Lord? Like, Lord, what's up here? What are you doing here? If you're serving, you can get in on the inside information. I think that's just amazing. You know, that's what I call receiving revelation. If you want revelation in the Word, or if you want revelation about what's happening around you, 
this is one of the ways you can enter into that. Am I just talking to anybody in this room? I need, y'all, I need some help here. Because I'm looking at y'all and y'all are just sitting there looking at me like this idiot. <laughs> uh, here's the cool thing. The water, think about this. The water was water. Okay? It, it was water until they went and took it out. They drew it out. Yeah, see, here's what some of us are doing. We're waiting for the, it to turn into wine. You're waiting for your water to turn into wine, and then you're going to do something. And where the Lord says, no, you pull that water out. Freely you have received, freely give. If you'll just go ahead and begin to release that somewhere between your belly and your brain and your mouth or what your hands, it's going to turn to wine. That's the way it really works. You've got to release it. The water, it would have stayed water. It would have be water to this day if those guys wouldn't have done do what he says. And they went and they drew it out. And then the drawing out, it became wine. Are y'all following that? And that's the way this thing, it's the five loaves and two fish things. Once the Lord gets a hold of that, miracles happen. But no miracle is going to happen if that little boy would have kept it. Like, nah, y'all can't have my food. It would have stayed five loaves and two fish. Are y'all following this? And so that should give you some courage to release what God has put in you. Even though for you it might be like, gosh, this is terrible. This is water. This is one fish. You know, or two fish. But once the Lord gets a hold of it, He does something to it supernatural. And that's what really happened there. I hope y'all can get that. Freely you have received, freely give. Yeah, I love it too. Well, in verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So this is very powerful. Um, Mother's Day part of the message. So think about Mary. Let's think about Mary just for a second. So here's Mary. She's at this wedding, okay? Now, this woman is, is significant. Obviously, she was the Lord's mother. Yeah. So she's looking around, and she's seeing a problem. You know, she's seeing a problem. And she's seeing a solution at the same time. She just didn't see the problem. She saw the answer to the problem. Okay, and I think that's one of the things when I read this, what I mean, what am I seeing when I look around? Do I just see the problem? I think that's what we do most of the time, right? We're just ate up with problems. We're consumed with problems, but we're not seeing the answer. And see, what the Lord wants to do is let's begin to see the answer. Okay, and so Mary, because here's the thing about Mary. Mary, Mary had been somewhere in her life. She had already lived in a time of no wine. Right? She was a peasant. She was a poor person. She knew what it was like to not have wine. She knew what it was like to live in dishonor. She walked in dishonor. She knew what it was like to be talked about and crushed as a person. But I'll tell you what else she knew. She knew Gabriel face to face. She had some encounters. She had some powerful encounters. She had some prophetic words. She had some wise men come. She was carrying experience with the Lord. She heard this. She heard this 18 years prior. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? She heard that. See, when she was seeing all that... I believe, you know, you've heard of a mother's intuition. Anybody ever had a mama that had a good intuition? My mama, there was no escape, my mama. (laughs) Becky was talking about her mama. My mama was completely different. I could not do nothing bad. And I lived my life trying to do bad back in those days. And she was always like, why does she know this? How does she know I hid my cigarettes here? (laughs) And she got them. And I was lying, trying to deny I'm like, mm. <laughs> and my mom was always that. I mean, good Lord. I mean, she had this uncanny thing on her. And it was ridiculous. You know? Well, she was a good mama, too. But she get 
unless you made her mad. Then <laughs> she wasn't so good, like, don't mess with mama, you know. Her name was Ruth. You know, Ruth means friend. And my mama lived up to be a great friend to me as I got older in life and really said, I can just, there's several things she said to, to me growing up that just stuck in my heart, you know, just in, just in conversations. Um, you know, she had a relationship with the Lord that was different than most people. I can honestly say that. Um, you know, Becky was talking about her mama growing up in a Baptist world. Well, my mama grew up in a, I mean, she grew up in a shouting Baptist world. These people were making us look like Presbyterians. They were crazy, man. I mean, you talk about wild. They were as they were like maniacs when they worshipped. They literally were uh, sh- what they call shouting Baptists. And I didn't. I was wondering what it was until I got around. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was pretty powerful. So the, you know, I don't know about you guys. If you you know, my dad was a Presbyterian, and so you know, we went to a Presbyterian church, and it was kind of damp down to, to say the least. <laughs> I always said. Churches for old people because <laughs> they're too tired to do anything else. <laughs> they're just going to go in there and sit for a while and then leave. That's what I thought growing up. Like, I can't, I'll be a Christian when I get old. That was my plan. I am not doing this now. I'm going to wait till I get old because this is terrible. <laughs> well, you know, so I kind of was around that and then somehow got involved with my mama's spirituality, which was completely different. It was really good. <laughs> So I was kind of, at first, a little nervous about bringing her to, to my spirituality. And uh, we had a certain preacher one Sunday. She came, and he was very wild preacher. I mean, like, really wild. And she said, wow, that guy was so rambunctious when he preached. I love that. <laughs> I thought, gosh, she's going to hate this. <laughs> I thought she'd been converted to being Presbyterian. <laughs> well, this mama named Mary had a not-so-normal I believe, mother's intuition. I believe that she sent something that day when she saw what was going on. I believe that she sensed that the time was now. And when Jesus said, Mom, uh, is your concern my concern? That was the question. Is your concern my concern? And I think that's the question everybody gets to, to answer. Because um, in her heart, she knew it was his concern. She knew that he would be very concerned about what was fixing to happen to this family because it was going to really be bad. It wasn't just like us, like run to the store and get some wine. This would have been terrible in that culture for that wine to run out. It would have ruined that family forever. And she knew that there was something in Jesus' heart, and she knew that that it time. I, I, swear, I, I can't prove that in the Bible. But I can read this one verse to you that kind of proves it. Psalm 138, verse 8. It says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Do y'all get that? The Lord will perfect it. In other words, if you're concerned about something, the Lord wants to do something about it. And that's what He wants people to know. If you're concerned today about your children, the Lord's concerned about it. It's His concern. Or whatever you're concerned about. Because whatever concerns you concerns him. That's really what I, when I read that, that's what I saw. Is the Lord really is concerned about what's happening in our lives. And if we're concerned about it, he's concerned about it. All he's looking for is an invitation into that concern. Lord, we invite you into this situation. We don't have the answers for it. We can't fix it, Lord. We invite you to do something. And when we do that, the Lord will really move in a powerful way. Are y'all good? Yeah. Well, I did want to talk to you about this one thing. Happy Mother's Day. So moms, your mother's intuition. Uh, so in the world, there are different kinds of cultures. Okay? And this culture in that time, let me just tell you what the three cultures are. Okay, these three main cultures. This is what they call our honor shame culture, and that would be more like an Eastern. Uh, and this culture values relationships and honor. That's what that kind of culture values. It listen. It values relationships and honor. That's the culture 
that Jesus grew up in. Okay, that's more of an Eastern culture. Now, there's another culture that's more of a Western. It's what we live under or have lived under, but it's changing, is a guilt forgiveness culture. And that emphasizes legality and justice. That's what our culture has, has legality and justice. The, the Western culture, Western, the European, Western European, United States, these, that's, our, that's how our culture operates. It's operating like, in fact, a lot of our theology, listen to this, y'all, a lot of the theology that has influenced the West comes, came from people like Luther, right, Wesley's, people who were trained as lawyers. Did you know that? So when they read the scriptures, they saw a lot of legality in them. Finney. Yeah, Charles Finney. He was, a, he was an attorney. And so a lot of the theology is created around courtroom, legality, guilt, forgiveness. And I think some of that's good, obviously, because you can see that. There is that in the Scripture. But I'll tell you one thing. It's not the only thing in Scripture. And then there's this other uh, culture called a power-fear culture. And that's uh, a culture that values power and the blessings of whoever's in power. And that's more like a tribal are y'all here getting this? That's more, I'm, there's a reason I'm saying this. That's more of a tribal kind of thing. But also, you can find it in cults, right? You think about cults, the way cults operate. They operate on power fear. Whoever's the big guy, he has all the power and he intimidates and rules everybody with fear. A lot of churches operate like that, I hate to say. Power fear culture, guilt forgiveness culture. How many operate on this culture of honor? You know, I'm, let me just say this. this is kind of political. Is you know who understood the the honor shame culture better than anybody in the history of politics? Guess who? Can anybody guess? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. This is what. This is how I believe he won the presidency. When they did this, uh, when they did the first time, you know, they had every, all the different candidates that was running. If you if you go back and watch that, he picked them off one by one. He shamed them. He shamed them, shamed them, shamed them, shamed them, shamed them. He beat every one of them. He just, every time you just think, this guy, this guy knows he's taking them out. Taking out, you know, all these guys that were supposed to be going to run for president. He's, nobody thought Donald Trump had a chance. Well, he just eliminated all his competition. He was sort of the head of the game in a sense because I believe America is shifting uh, because there's no culture in, on, in the world today that's pure, like pure honor, shame, pure guilt, forgiveness, because the world's so much more connected. Yeah. And so there's been this, this change in cultures. And I think our culture is moving more towards our honor, shame, uh, the council culture thing. That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a negative view. That's, that's like a perverted thing of honor, shame. Is when you counsel people when they don't do do right. That's that would be the equivalent to shaming somebody in an ancient culture. Are y'all following this? And so our see that's it's important for us to really begin to understand what's happening in our culture. I, I'm, I don't so we can really you know be able to address the culture because God doesn't bring shame. Listen, this is the point of this whole thing. If the family would have ran out of wine, that would have brought scandal. That would have brought great shame on that family. They were, in their culture, in their world, they would have, it would have never been forgotten. They would have never lived down what happened to them. Never by running out of wine because it was an honor-shame culture. And as far as the, the culture was concerned, they completely failed and they failed... Everybody, they failed the 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 their, the family, the, the the bride and groom, and they failed the the bigger community because they represent them. They said, so therefore, and see that was the whole thing about that. This is what's so beautiful about this miracle. Jesus was trying to tell everybody, "I'm doing away with shame. I'm breaking the power of shame." In the church, there should never be an honor shame because it always should be an honor culture. <laughs> 
that's the culture because they value relationships, right? That's what I, that's, that was the thing about it. They value relationships and they value honor. And that's what Jesus was trying to bring into that culture to trying to eliminate the shame that would be on a people. And these beautiful people that got this best wedding presents, you know, 120 to 180 gallons of the best wine in creation, forever were honored. I mean, they were, they were held up. In, in that culture, they would have been held up in great honor from that point on instead of being held down in great shame. Are y'all getting this? And see, that's what the new covenant is all about. It's trying to break us out of the shame that we've all walked in. Because I don't know about you, I've had a lot of shame in my life. Everybody in this room has. And the new covenant is what God did. Was He wants to break that off in us. And bring us into a place of honor as His family. Where, we've, where relationships are more important than who's guilty and who's not guilty. And see, that's, where, that's what God really wants to do in our country. Is He wants to bring a culture of honor into our country. Where everybody gets honored and everybody's treated right. You know, I believe that with all my heart that God just wants to do that because that's what the new covenant does. And so, you know, that's the, the, that's the beauty, you know, of this, of this great thing is God was declaring, I'm going to break this shame thing. I'm going to break it where people do not have to live in shame. They can be free from shame. That's what this, this miracle is really pointing us to. It's very powerful. Yeah. So let me pray for you. Because we got one more thing we need to do today before we leave. Okay? So let me, but let me pray. Becky, you can come out here if you want to. She's saying, oh. Mm. Hey, I hope somebody got something out of this message this morning. Mm-hmm. Hope you got some revelation. The goal is impartation. And I do want to tell you, if you got shame on you, and I know the devil just shames the fool out of you. He's constantly telling me stuff about me that that's, would be shameful to me if I haven't really, like, shut up, devil. Like I told Becky, it took me years. I told her this this morning. It took me years of my life to come to a place where my past didn't have its grip on me, but I had a grip on my past. I began to rule my past instead of my past ruling me. Yeah. You know, and some people are living in this thing where their past has kept them down. And I didn't have a great past. I had a bad past. I did a, bad, a lot of bad stuff. I made a lot of bad choices. A lot of bad stuff happened to me. And for years, it plagued me. But when you begin to see what the Lord has done, where the Lord says, I honor you. You have my honor. You're a son. You belong. And I begin to believe that. It begins to change something inside of you. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person in this room, Lord, no more of this shame thing, Lord. And, Lord, you have set the captives free. You have freed people from guilt, Lord. You don't have to feel guilty about your failures. You don't have to feel guilty. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that somehow there's a transaction could happen in this room today in people's hearts where they feel like they have failed miserably well you may have failed but you are not a failure and you don't need to have shame on you about what has happened in your life what you did do or what you didn't do that's just from hell and God wants to free you today and God loves you he loves who he he created you to be and he loves the future he has for you because he has a beautiful future for everybody in this room if we let him And so, Lord, we ask you today, Lord, you turn the water into wine. And I think some of us need that in our hearts today. Lord, the water turned into wine, the wine of the Holy Ghost, the wine of your Spirit. And I ask you to do that, Lord. I ask you for an impartation in people's life, Lord. Lord, we don't want to just come to church and sing songs and pray prayers and listen to words and then go home and be plagued by darkness. Lord, we want to get free. We want to walk in our true purpose and destiny. We want to walk in our true identity as sons and daughters. And I ask you today, Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, this is what you've done. you made a way for us, Lord. And I just ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Why don't we all stand up? Yeah, thank you. Let's give Pastor Byron a hand. It's good. It's a good message. You know, I've always thought there was way more to that story than just turning water into wine. Didn't y'all ever wonder about that? So I think we got some really great in-depth look at that today. And Lord, we just ask you that it would go deep in us today and that we would really hear your heart, Lord, and that it really would impact change, Lord. And I just pray for all of our walls that we have, that they would come down, Lord, so that your love can pour in and break off all that shame, Lord. We just pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes I think it's hard for us church members who think we have it all together. We don't. Uh, we hide because it's just it's too painful to look at stuff, you know. And I just think that's wrong. We just need to we need to wake up and let the Lord really get to some of that stuff, right? Because He died for that. He wants us really whole and joyful and free. So, Amen. It's really good. So, we want to pray for Jim today, and we. Um, Afterwards, I just want the ministry team to go ahead and come up. I'm not now, but let's pray for Jim first. But just right after, come on up, because we want to pray for anybody who needs something before you leave. Uh, We're still praying for healing. And if you really need, um, it's hard sometimes to stand up in front of everybody about the shame thing, but we really want to pray for you for that. So um, Jim, Jim is getting to go to Argentina. Woo! It's been how long? Two two years? Yeah, if you don't know Jim, Jim has a missions base in Argentina, and we've had a lot of ministry back and forth um, with Argentines. I mean, there's Argentines in the room, and um, his son-in-law is. So we just are so thankful he's not been able to go because of COVID. So he's getting to go. Praise God. Do you want to say anything, Jim, quick? He's, yeah. Um, yeah, um... I want to ask Eric Newman to come up. Uh, Eric is here. Um, You've heard of YWAM, Youth with a Mission? Well, we're old guys with a mission, OGWAM. And we probably need more prayer than the young people you sent out. Come here. Last time, we were in Salta, Argentina in March of 2020 together. And uh, we'd come down out of the high country, 10 or 12,000 feet. We'd come back down to 5,000 feet to the provincial capital. And we'd checked into a hotel before Eric was supposed to go preach to a youth meeting. And he calls me into his room and says, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he was. Now, he already had four stents at that time. And he had another heart attack in the room, and we prayed for him, and I wanted to take him to a hospital. He said, no, just get me some aspirin, and let's go to the meeting. So uh, we, we prayed. He got feeling a little better. We went to a meeting, and he ministered to the youth in this church for about three hours. Wow. I was worn out. I went and sat down in a corner because I couldn't take any more. And he was still running through the fire tunnel with the youth. He got home. The doctor says, yeah, you did have a heart attack. We need to put two more stents in there. Uh, so literally, he got up off of the bed with a heart attack and went and prayed for youth for three hours. So uh, we're going back to that same area. We got a lot of different things. I don't want to talk too long. We've got a rural health care clinic we need to get going and uh, some missionaries to launch and stuff. And so anyway. We want to pray for them and send them out um, in the power of the Holy Ghost uh, leaving. I leave tomorrow. Eric comes. I'm going to be gone for a month, about 30 days, and he's going to come down for 10 days in the middle. Okay, great. Yeah, Eric used to be the worship leader here in the good old days, right, Eric? That's great. <laughs> we have long history with both of these men. They're just, yeah, and, and it's it's just such a, it would take all day to tell all God's done here, but we want to, we're excited about sending them out. I feel like it's prophetic that the Lord's getting ready to open up the missions door again. Um, we just declare that, that the missions 
will open right up again as they've been closed. And, Lord, we just declare, Lord, that this trip, Lord, will be uh, designed step by step, Lord, with your heart, Lord. Um, this is his heart's missions. And, Lord, we declare that, that this will be full of sending these men to where your heart is, to every person, every area, every project, Lord, will be filled with your heart, God, filled with your anointing, filled with your provision, filled with your safety, Lord God, uh, their health protected. Lord, we declare in Jesus' name that they'll be healthy, um, stay healthy. Lord, just all the... Um, Going through the customs, all that stuff would be a breeze. There'd be no hang-ups, Lord God. And we're just praying for a powerful time down there in Argentina. We bless Argentina, Lord. We love that nation. You love that nation, Lord. And we bless this trip. In the name of Jesus, we bless the travels. We declare God's speed over them, Lord. God's speed over both of them. Their families would be protected while they're gone, Lord. Uh, we just thank you so much for their mission's heart, Lord. And we just uh, pour it out. Pour out your spirit on your people, Lord. Pour out your spirit on your people through them, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for miracles the unusual miracles would be done at the hands of Jim Hill and Eric Newman, Lord God. And no more heart attacks. This heart would stay strong and beating, Lord. Woo! Oh, yeah, I've had anointing on that. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Oh, we bless them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Woo, it's good. And bless, yeah, bless them. Thank you, Lord. And let's have the um, a ministry team to come up. And we want to release y'all to go be, have your afternoon also. Thank you for coming. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, the ministry team, if they can just come up over here so we can pray for people still. Thank you, Lord. We love y'all. We love you. And be blessed.